0: Hey everybody, I have an announcement. My new book, Traumatized, is available for pre-order now. In it, I cover PTSD and complex PTSD, the symptoms we can experience when we have been traumatized, and of course, ways we can overcome these and heal. There is honestly too much helpful information in this book to list it all, but if you've ever wondered if you've been traumatized or are working to overcome past trauma, this book is for you. I cannot wait for it to be out in the world and help anyone suffering. So please pre-order yours today at katiemorton.com You can ask her why breakups suck or why you've hit a plateau. Inquire all those questions you've always wanted to know. Ask Katie. Hey everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Ask Katie Anything. Um, today has been a day. I'm just gonna I'm gonna just let you guys know. Today's just been a day. Um, not a bad day, just a busy day. Like legitimately, I um God, I, I'm writing a book. I'm writing my second book about trauma. And because I'm not a trauma specialist, it's requiring a lot more um research, brain power, just focus. Um, but anyway, so I've been doing that. So that's like wringing your brain out. I don't know why, but writing to me is just like such a just like my brain just gets like I have no new words. I'm like babe. That's what it, my brain's just doing. It's like flatlining. Um and so I've been working on that. And then I had to film a little video um that'll go up on my Instagram really soon. Um, just to help bring awareness to a cause that's really cool and really great and important. Um, And then I was putting this together. And so I'm doing this. So I feel like I'm all over the place doing all these things. Um, And I'm actually glad I'm filming this today and not tomorrow because it's only getting hotter in LA. It's like record highs this week. So pray for me. Um, Anyways, without further ado, oh, and if you're new here, my name is Katie Morton. I'm a licensed therapist. And this is my podcast called Ask Katie Anything, where I ask your questions. on the community tab of this, the podcast channel, there's a YouTube channel called opinions that don't matter, which is the podcast that I do with my husband, Sean. Um, and all of our podcasts just live there. And so we, uh, in the community tab, I will ask you to send in your questions and then I pull from them for like a week or two and then I'll do it again and I'll ask again. So if your question doesn't get answered, um, don't fret, you can always ask it again and again, as I, you know, keep posing that question, keep asking for your questions. Um, but what I really try to do is pull the questions with the most thumbs ups. So if there's a question that's very similar to yours, then give it a thumbs up. Um, Chances are, because I do ramble on here, that's the cool thing about podcasts, am I right? Um, But anyway, I do ramble a lot. Even if your question isn't exactly like that one, chances are I'll get to it in some way. Okay. Um, Let's get into it. Question number one. That question is, how... I wonder if you can you guys hear that. Sorry. I pause for a sec. We have, and I will get into the question. <laughs> I realized that was a horrible lead up, but we have a, a little nest just outside our back door, um, with little baby birds. And they've just started and you, I don't know if you can hear them, but they just started making noise, which means mom must be coming to feed them or something. Um, anyway, it's very cute, but they get scared every time we go out the back door, which makes doing laundry and getting the mail and stuff a little tricky, but I'm like, I promise I'm not there to hurt you. Anyway, if you can hear them, let me know in the comments. But they're very, very cute, and I'm excited for, to see them like leave the nest. Um, okay, never mind. <laughs> Back to it. Question number one: How to stop irritable outbursts that come all of a sudden when you're feeling fine? Like I don't feel any kind of emotion, but all of a sudden a minor inconvenience will happen and I will get really irritated and annoyed. I feel bad for my poor family and friends who have to keep dealing, who have to deal with me being like this. Now they've got a lot of thumbs ups and a lot of people saying they feel exactly the same way. And there's a lot, there's a lot to this answer slash to this question. So when we are feeling fine. I like how she's like, I'm feeling fine. I don't know why I'm having these outbursts. It's because we're not tapping into what's really going on and how we're really feeling. I think too often we, I don't know, for lack of a better word, are just like numbing out, like we're not paying attention. We are so stressed because, okay, first of all, we're, we're in a global pandemic and the, our, we're like potentially constantly in a stress response just because shit's crazy and we don't know what to expect. Um, so we can feel on edge a lot. So there's that. Then there's the fact that like, we might just not be not feel safe or not have the tools to tap into how we feel regularly throughout the day or week or month or maybe years. And so we're always just right on the cusp of being thrown into dysregulation, meaning angry outbursts, um, feeling super irritable, edgy. Uh, crying easily. Like all of those, those are actually signs to, for me personally, that is like, you need to get back in therapy. That's what I know of myself is if I feel like I'm going to cry really easily or I'm on edge a lot. Um, And so anyways, so I just want to address the fact that you're probably not feeling fine. You're just not aware of what's actually going on and tapping into that and recognizing slash validating it. Cool. But then the second thing is like, how do you stop it? Okay. So if... We, you know, I don't feel any kind of emotion. I'm just reading the question again. I don't feel any kind of emotion, but then all of a sudden a minor inconvenience will happen. And I get really irritated and annoyed. Um, you probably do have an emotion. You're just, and you do feel it. You're just not acknowledging it. It's very uncomfortable for us to be in our bodies. I hear that from you guys all the time that like any, uh, not even uh, invitation, but any kind of thing that should draw us in, right? Like, I, w- I said this recently on a, on a video or a live stream, but like um, that meme that was going around uh, Instagram and probably all of the internet uh, recently because of the coronavirus and because of quarantine was like, you know, the world says, oh, let's just hit pause and everybody just go inside, like get to know yourself, like, you know, consider your thoughts, be, you know, take some time to really dive into who you are. And it's like, everybody, absolutely not. I will learn to make sourdough bread. I will make banana bread. Like you do all the things to distract. We're like, I refuse. Absolutely not. I will not like be alone with my thoughts right now. But the real way to uh, stop these irritable outbursts and from us feeling like we're kind of out of control is to go inside, to pay attention to how we feel, what we think, to, to tap into ourselves, to listen and be alone with your thoughts, to know that it's okay and it's not going to take over, that going in our body and feeling it will actually make us feel better. And so the way that I would uh, encourage you to start this process, right, to start the process of like tapping inside and like figuring out what we're thinking and who we are and what's going on is really to uh, track our feelings or thoughts. Either or. I don't really care whichever one's easier for you. Both are important, but like you can start with the one that you're like, oh, I could probably do that. So if it's feelings, then like I've been talking about these forever and ever and ever, is um, you know, go on Google, search a feelings chart, and find one that speaks to you. Feelings charts are beautiful things that list a bunch of different feeling words. I think it helps us come up put put language to things that maybe we aren't used to putting language to. Often I find my patients, when I ask them to start tracking feelings, the first ones I get are like happy, mad, sad, and maybe annoyed. There's certain feelings we're like more comfortable with. And so those words um, are the ones that they'll use first. But there are these little nuances to emotion language that can be so beautiful and so validating. And those can be words like, um, I feel, um, hmm, even like excited, trepidatious, uh, Concerned, you know, that like it. We could say, Oh, that's mad, sad, bad, you know, good, happy, whatever. We could try to like make it a generic term, but when you get really into the nuance of the feeling, it can feel much more true, much more, like I said, validating. And so, try to find a feelings chart that speaks to you, that the language of it feels very comfortable. And I would encourage you as you start tracking, maybe. Two to three feelings a day, even if it's one, five gold stars for you. That's amazing. Um, It's better than none, right? It's better than it was yesterday. So, when we start tracking those feelings, um, I'd encourage you the next day when you do it again, like just pick a time during your day when you're going to be like, What did I feel today? What did I go through today? Hmm. Like right now, I'm kind of feeling overwhelmed. That I'm just speaking personally. I'm feeling a little overwhelmed and I'm also feeling excited but then I'm kind of worried just because of the stress in the world, okay? So those are some emotions I'm feeling. But then tomorrow when I do it again, how have I been feeling today? I want you to find different words. I don't want you to keep using the same ones. Yes, we can circle back and use the same ones, but maybe just not the same ones as yesterday. I'd like you to try to like broaden your communication about how you feel. The vernacular should be much Wider, larger. Um, we should have different words to explain how we feel, and this will not only help us communicate ourselves more clearly and express what we're really going through, but it also helps us like validate and empower our, our own system to to feel okay with how we feel, to know that it's is completely appropriate and something that is totally fine. Um, so that's the first. is just starting to track those feelings. But if it's not feelings, if you're like, ooh, that mm, that seems a little too much. Don't like it. Don't want to do it thoughts. And thoughts can be, I don't know, in some ways easier, in some ways harder. I think coming up with, you know, two thoughts, three thoughts is wonderful. One is fine, sufficient, good, five gold stars. Again, we just want to do more than we did the day before, um, or more than none, really. Um, But thoughts, I'm not talking like complicated thoughts. I don't want you to take me on a, a road trip of this wandering thought that took you off into a story. I want you instead to focus on some of the thoughts that you have all the time. We have a lot of repeat offenders in our heads. These thoughts are things usually uh, negative, but not always. Usually they're things like, I don't do enough. Nobody cares about me. I'm fat. I'm lazy. I'm stupid. Any of those. I mean, I'm giving you the negative ones, but those are the ones I hear the most from my patients. But there are these thoughts that we have repeatedly. Maybe yours are more positive or benign, where it's like, oh, I hate my job or, oh, this traffic is so slow or uh, um, I just don't have anything to wear. They could be generic things. That's totally fine. But we need to start somewhere. We need to start noticing the thoughts that we have before we just accept them as fact and take them in. Because that's what we often do is we just accept things as fact without challenging them. And those thoughts become our beliefs. And then we act out of that. And so that's kind of like the whole thought process behind cognitive behavioral therapy or CBT. Um, Anyway, so tracking thoughts or feelings will help you stop these irritable outbursts because it will make you more aware of what's actually going on inside you and what you're actually thinking and feeling. We numb out too easily, too quickly. It's uncomfortable, I know, to feel how you feel and to let yourself like sit in it. Like, oh, I just have to feel this feeling. Ugh, I don't like it. But I promise you, Once we start giving ourselves permission to feel and think however we feel and think and we notice those things and we try to move those in a more positive direction, our whole life will change. You will feel so much better. I can't even tell you. It's a very strange and difficult mental muscle, but it has such a great impact. I really can't tell you the return on investment for the time that you put into tracking your thoughts and feelings and trying to move them in a more positive place, like it'd be like putting $1 in to, uh, I don't know, some account. And when you go to to make a withdrawal, you have like $10 million. It's like that. Like, I know that $1 sometimes can feel like a lot, but fuck man, the return is amazing and you will feel so much better. So just give that a go. You know, try it out. Um, work that muscle. It will really, really help you feel better. And it will stop you from feeling so irritated and annoyed. Because the reason that we're irritated and annoyed is you know, because we're not tapping in, we're not even recognizing how we feel. And so anything that's like a little bit upsetting, pushes us over the edge. And I also want to add so that that's like my first initial knee jerk reaction. But I do want to dive in a little bit. You guys know, I love to just talk and talk and talk and dive into these things. Um, But I want to dive in for a little bit about the fact that we are in a global pandemic. And I just want to recognize that. And I want to talk about why I think that could be another factor that is causing this that this is a new symptom. Okay, but I'm going to have a drink of water here. So I think the thing about this is that like I've talked about in my videos on my main channel, this uh, global pandemic is causing a, a stress response, fight, flight, freeze, right? We've heard about that forever. We know that that's something that happens when we're in something like a scary situation, traumatizing situation. We have the options to run away, fight them, or freeze, like play dead, like play possum. Um, and those are the only ways we know how to cope, right? That's supposed to be very, very short-lived. That's like super stressful. Ugh. Stress response, oh, come down, shake it off. Whew, I got away. That was, Or I fought and I won, or I froze and they left. Everything's good. <sighs> However, when we're in this heightened state for a long period of time, it takes away like our amygdala is running the show. If you guys don't know your amygdala, it's like these two little bean shaped, they they like on both sides of your brain. So there's two of them, but there's like one kind of organ of your brain in a way they like run right next to one another. Foop, they're in the midbrain right in the middle. And when we go into fight, flight, freeze, it runs a show. It overrides everything. It's like, oh, wow, wow, wow. It's sounding the alarm. And that makes our prefrontal cortex, which is like the adult part of our brain, the the part of our brain that is like, hmm, what would be the best order to do these things? That would be the most efficient. And should I say no to this or yes to it? Like it's really good at coming up with answers and decisions when there's multiple uh sides to it or multiple things that need to be thought through and processed. It's like it's very good at doing that. That's like its strength, okay? It's offline. When the amygdala fires, the prefrontal cortex goes offline and it is not it's still humming along. It's not like our half of our brain goes dead. Don't worry. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that the amygdala overrides it. So it's like, I don't even know. I feel like I watch a lot of movies where they're like, it's a manual override and they get in a computer and they're like, click, 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 click. And like all the doors shut, even though the machine wouldn't have told it to do that. Our brain is doing that. It's like, hey, I know you're still working and you're totally fine. And I I appreciate you, wise mind, adult part of my brain. But you know what, right now we have to be impulsive. We have to act Quickly, it's a matter of life and death. And our prefrontal cortex is like, You got it, dude, shut it down. And then the amygdala just fires and runs wild and makes decisions. And those are usually pretty bad decisions. And those decisions aren't made with any thought or care. And so that could be leading to these irritable outbursts. We're very impulsive. We feel very maxed out. We're not in our wise mind. Wise mind is like what helps us take a beat, take a breath, and make a better decision, right? That's offline. Not to mention the fact that just being stressed in general, like burns at our resiliency, you know, all those things we do for self care, help ourselves feel better, whether that is like um, eating regularly, getting enough sleep, talking to friends, doing some stretches, getting some exercise, um, journaling, coloring, reading a good book, watching a favorite show, any of those things that we do to build up our support system and our resiliency those, it's eating away at that every day more so than it ever used to because of the stress and the fear and the upset in our, our whole world, right? Our whole world has been turned upside down. And so it can feel very, very upsetting and stressful. And again, when our resiliency is down, it's like that poker chip analogy I always talk about, where it's like you wake up with four poker chips, someone shouts something mean at you, you lose two of them. By the time you get to work, maybe you have none. So the next thing someone does we just fly off the handle because we don't have any way to cope. We don't have any poker chips to pay to help ourselves feel better. And so um, yeah, every day we might wake up with fewer poker chips right now because of the stress. So I just want to kind of talk about it holistically because nothing happens in a vacuum. There can be a lot of different triggers, a lot of different reasons for this being what it is. But that hopefully that gives you a better idea of what's going on. And so another way to stop the irritable outburst would be to build up that resiliency meaning once we're tapping in, and we're recognizing how we're feeling, and we're like acknowledging it and validating it, then we can also do more things to build it back up. Maybe it's taking some time for ourselves to breathe, stretch, listen to a podcast, Ta-da! Uh, take a bath, journal, vent to a friend about what's going on. Maybe we write about the feelings that we've had or the thoughts that are bothering us. Maybe we uh, journal, color, watch a show, uh organize something, clean something. I have a whole video if you're looking for like coping skills and processing skills, which build resiliency, go on YouTube, type in Katie Morton, 25 coping skills, it will pop up. And those comments are filled with other ideas. So it's a beautiful place to go. Hopefully that's really, really helpful. Okay, that's enough of question number one. I'm moving right along. Question number two. Okay, question number two says, how to stop counting calories. I won't let myself eat over a certain amount each day. Now I feel like I'm becoming a bit obsessed and it's led me to binge eating every so often. How can I stop myself from counting calories when I'm worrying about putting on weight? Thanks, Katie. I hope you're feeling a bit better. Bless you. I am feeling a bit better. Thanks for asking and mentioning that. Um, all of your wonderful support in that video, not this Monday, but last Monday. It was just so nice. And I think I think for many of us, like we have off weeks and on weeks, but I'm definitely feel I feel like I've turned a corner. I feel like I'm a little bit more used to the pandemic and just being in this kind of state, which I know sounds weird. And it's like, do you want to be used to that? And the answer is no, I don't really want to be used to it. But I already feel like I am kind of used to it. And so at least I'm settling in and not feeling so ugh, out of control and just bad, just, just bad. Okay. So First of all, this is, a, this got a lot of thumbs ups. And I know a lot of people, I don't mean to laugh. I'm not laughing because this is funny. I'm laughing because I've been asked about this a lot lately. And it's definitely being in quarantine is causing a lot of our coping skills and stress responses and ways that we just deal to come with a, out with a vengeance. People are seriously having a hard time because it is just, it's hard. It's hard. And I get it. Um, excuse me, I burped. Um so the best way is to well okay first of all I want to address before I get into like the actual like tools and how to stop I want to address that of course counting calories has led you to binge eat every so often because and this I have another video about this that you should watch is about the getting caught in the binge restrict cycle because what happens when we limit uh what we can eat whether that's counting calories or whether that's like uh throwing out entire types of food like I don't eat fruits, or I don't eat carbohydrate, or I don't eat uh, any fats or something because people, you know, deemed them bad, which is all bullshit, by the way. But when we cut out entire types of food, that will only lead us to a wanting that food, it's the diet mentality. It's like, I can't have that. Well, shit, now that's all I can think about and that's all I want and I won't be satisfied until I get it. Have you ever eaten a meal that's supposed to be quote-unquote healthy and, it, and it's like it's plenty of food but you're just never quite satiated? It's not that you're not full. It's that you're not satiated because it didn't have whatever your body was needing. Like your body's like, I needed more fat with that. I needed more protein with that. I needed more vegetable. I needed more salt. I needed more something. This tastes like garbage. That part like that can happen. So even if we've eaten plenty, quote unquote, plenty, our body still wants more and can cause us to overeat and binge because we're being so restrictive. So by taking out an entire type of food, all we're going to think about is that food. And then it's going to lead us into this cycle where we start to restrict a little bit and we get hungrier slash crave it more and more and more and more, want it more and more and more and more until we give in and we binge, then we overeat, usually on the items that we've told ourselves we can't eat. And so I just wanted to say that because you get caught in that cycle, and I have a video about that. You can look up on YouTube "Katie Morton binge restrict cycle." Um, it should come up. But the the best it's this is hard. So there's a couple because it's first of all, if you can see a professional, I would encourage you to see a professional because this is definitely eating disorder behavior. Um, it's taking over. If you guys don't know what I how I discern like between what's eating disorder behavior and what is not is. Do you spend most of your day thinking about food in some capacity whether that's like making up for the food i ate with or earning the food i'm going to eat by working out whether that is and that could be making up with it by purging or laxatives or anything like that are you thinking about how to uh, like when your next meal is going to be and what you're going to eat are you planning it are you uh, like watching food porn like people making food and different types of food that you won't eat like some of those foods you've deemed quote, unquote, bad? Are you watching that online all the time? Um, you know, are you thinking about, like, how much food you ate yesterday? How much of your brain space is taken up with st- stupid fucking food thoughts? If it's more then I don't know. I always say if it's just a majority. So if it's more than 50% of your time, it's definitely an eating disorder. But I I mean, I don't even think about food. Maybe it's like 20% of my day. Maybe that, I mean, timing to cook and to plan it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyways, just keep that in mind. But how do we stop counting calories? So see a professional for some eating disorder support. Um, There are great apps that can help. Like I use recovery record with a lot of my eating disorder patients. That's really great. It also allows me like message back and forth with them or, or like heart, like comments, So they know that I've seen things. Um, it's a really great interactive app and I really like it, but there's other ones as well. Um, But the way that we have to stop counting calories is actually first, and I know you're like, wait, I just, Katie, I ask a simple question, why am I getting this complicated answer? Because eating disorders are complicated. And this is coming out for a reason. So what I would encourage you to do first, kind of back to what I said in question number one, is start tracking your feelings. I think you're counting calories so you don't think about something else because we all know eating disorders have nothing to do with the food. It's all about coping slash numbing out, ignoring something bigger that's going on. So I want to figure out, start thinking about like what that bigger thing is um, because we need to figure out how to, then we know how to heal and what, what our next steps are, right? So start tracking. How are you feeling? Look up one of those feelings charts. Start circling those things. Start finding words that describe how you feel and I would assume that it's gotten a little bit worse recently because of the global pandemic. That's like, just crazy, you guys crazy. Um, I I mean, I know that everybody says that, and it's annoying. But that's just how it is. I just it, sometimes I still can't even believe that this is like a reality and what's happening right now. Um, but okay, so track your feelings, start paying attention to that. It's super helpful. I promise you, it will give you some ideas of what's going on. And then I would want you Like, just have a date and write some of the feelings or thoughts or whatever. Doesn't matter. I don't care. Either or. Uh, Write the dates down. And then on the days when you have like a really, really, you struggle to binge eat or you really restrict, I want you to put an R or a B. B being binge, R being restrict. And I want you to kind of take a look at that. What we're doing is we're, we're being detectives for our own behavior and our own thoughts. Which thoughts or feelings are triggering to this eating disorder most? Hmm it'll be interesting. Everybody's different. It could be stress. It could be, uh, I don't know, maybe there's somebody that you see that day. Maybe it's overwhelmed. Maybe that's your triggering thing. Maybe it's this thought that you always have that's like, I'm a loser. I'm worthless. I'm whatever. I don't know. I'd be interested to see it. So it's just tracking those feelings and thoughts to see what causes this to be at its worst, I guess. And then I want you to start taking those thoughts and feelings. So that's step one. And that can take you a few weeks. It's great to gather some data on ourselves. What's making this happen most? What is making my eating disorder rage and what isn't? Mm. Okay, so then you take the things that you know, make your eating disorder really bad and really loud. And then we want to change those into a more positive thought or feeling. I know that we can't go from like, I'm fat, worthless piece of garbage into I'm wonderful and beautiful. And I get so much done. Everybody loves me. That those are so those are miles and miles and miles apart. So we have to do those bridge statements that I'm always talking about. Bridge statements are statements that live in the possibility land, right? Like, it's possible that I might not be as shitty as I think I am. Uh, Maybe there is a part of me that's lovable. I'm open to the thought that maybe, or maybe I'm not as unlovable as I think I am, you know, we're kind of building wherever you can start that bridge. I'll take it. And then we want to build it, build it more and more until we get into I'm wonderful and amazing. Everybody loves me. Um, but we have to get there and it takes some time. So all I'm saying is just make sure that, um, that you give yourself the time you need to like move those into a more positive place. And I believe in conjunction with seeing an eating disorder specialist and all of that, I think that this urge to count calories will slowly go away as we get better at managing how we feel, expressing how we feel, moving it in a more positive direction, we'll start feeling better. But in the meantime, like if you, whatever feelings you know, lead to this getting worse, which usually are feelings like anger, upset, overwhelm, stress. If we can find ways to calm those down in the moment, again, back to my 25 coping skills video, that might help too. That might assuage the urge to count because we all know that gets us nowhere good. Um, Yeah. And the worry about putting on weight, again, it's just our brain's trick to be more distracting, more uh, numbing. And that's why it's doing its job. But it's driving us crazy and we don't want it there anymore. So we're going to have to fight back. Um, Yeah, I hope that that makes sense. And it's like helpful in some way, because I know it's a little tricky and I know it's a little stressful, but that uh, eating disorders aren't really about the food. They're not really about the calories. It's more about like where it's coming from, what's triggering it. And how do we heal that? How do we stop that? How do we get that to be something that's more manageable. So yeah, and let me know. Let me know if that helps or if you have follow-ups. Always open to follow-ups. Question number three. Hey, Katie, I have been feeling down and anxious lately as well as not being able to get to sleep or concentrate. Because of this, my schoolwork is getting worse, which is adding to the stress. I've tried to talk to people about it, but it's too overwhelming and I can't, can't go through with it. My friends and family don't know that I'm struggling because I just pretend everything's all right around them. Every time I try to open up, the anxiety just takes over and I don't say anything. Any advice? Okay. Yes, I have a lot of thoughts on this. Um, First of all, I'm sorry that you're not being able to sleep or concentrate. That is super uncomfortable and it does make everything harder. So I totally get it. And understandable that your schoolwork is getting worse since adding to your stress. Um, The best thing that we can do is push through when it comes to talking to people. And instead of trying to talk to like family and friends and like everybody like, oh, I just need to, you know, let everybody know about this. Pick one person that you're already pretty comfortable talking to. Who's the person that you go to when you're having a rough day? It's usually one or two people like mine will be Sean and my mom. Those are my people. I'm going to go to them. I have friends too that I'm comfortable talking. But those are those are the people like, you know, knee jerk reaction. Someone asked me quickly, who do you talk to about tough things? My mom and Sean. So find somebody in your life that when I say, hey, who do you talk to when you're having a shitty day? And you're like, oh, this person, go to that person first and just start talking. We don't have to tell them everything. I personally am a verbal diarrhea type person where like once I start talking, then I'm like, Bleh. here's everything that I've ever worried about in my entire life. <sighs> Which, you know, can be helpful in therapy to some extent, but I'm sure my therapist is also like, wow, that was a lot. Um But for many of us, we can't say anything. We find ourselves being really quiet, uh, not having the words, feeling maxed out and shutting down. Um, And so starting off with one person, someone who is supportive, loving, helpful, can get us going. It doesn't mean we have to tell them everything. We can start by telling them something simple like, yeah, I was having a tough day today. I felt kind of anxious, period. That's it. That's all we have to start with. And then we have to say, yeah, I didn't sleep very well because of my anxiety. Okay, period. Maybe that's the only thing we share that next time we talk to them. We have to slowly get more and more used to opening up, more and more used to saying those words. If you can't even imagine saying it out loud to someone else, practice saying it out loud to yourself. Write it down first, then read it out loud to yourself. There's something about hearing the words come out of our mouth that if we struggle with anxiety or or any kind of like issues communicating hearing those words for the first time can like be enough to just shut it down we're like oh my god i can't believe i just said anxiety out of my own mouth <gasps> we just want to you know zip it up never say it again so say it out loud to yourself a few times say what you want to say out and see how it feels how it sounds and how you do and as we do that more and more and we practice we get so comfortable that by the time we say it to someone else it's not as scary yes, things can still be scary, but we will be able to push through, right? For a little bit longer. Maybe we get two sentences out or maybe we talk for two minutes, whatever. Um, so yeah, because talking is really what will help, venting it, getting it off of our chest is really what will help us feel the best. Um, another way I just want to mention, because there's the crisis text line, seven four one seven four one. you can text to a crisis counselor. Sometimes texting is less intrusive and a little bit easier than saying something out loud in person. Um, try that. If your parents are supportive, if you're able to get out to them that like, hey, I've been having a tough time and I could use some support, there's Talkspace, BetterHelp, there's all those great resources. Um, so that could get you some extra support too. And then, you know, seeing a therapist is helpful. They have tools and techniques and ways to best manage your anxiety. I think that all of that could be really, really, really helpful. Um, but know that you're not alone. We all go through these phases where we just feel overwhelmed. Things are stressful. I think everybody's kind of feeling a little bit more anxious than normal. Even those of us who didn't struggle with an anxiety disorder prior to this pandemic, we're with, we're in it now. So, um, yeah, I hope that that helps starting small, saying it to yourself, writing it down, all that stuff, starting out little with one person, um, it'll get better. And I just can't tell you how helpful it is to say things out loud to someone and have someone validate and hear you. And that's why the crisis text line is helpful as well as like actual therapy. Um, because they just give you some of that unconditional support that we're needing. Some of that, like, I hear you, I see you, you're understood. That's so valuable to so many of us. So, um, take advantage of that if you can. Um, yeah, and I have a lot of videos about like how to talk about talk to friends and family, things like that. So if you're wanting more information on that specifically, um, feel free to to look that video up and watch it. Okay, question number four. How many questions? Oh, I have nine. Okay, question number four. Let's see here. My therapist. This is a great question, you guys. They're all great questions, but this one was interesting to me in particular. It says my therapist seems burned out. I've been with him for three years, and I've never seen him like this. For the past few weeks, he seemed checked out during sessions, mixing up names of people in my life, forgetting big things that happened to me. I totally get that. What, I totally get that we're all going through a lot right now, even him. But I just don't know what to do about this. Should I bring it up? Should I wait it out? Thanks so much. These are great questions, and I'm sure a lot of you out there. This got a lot of thumbs up as well, and some even responses. I'm sure a lot of you are going through this too, um, and maybe experiencing a little bit of burnout in your own life or seeing it in your therapist. And so first of all, don't wait it out. If anything is ever bothering you in therapy, it's really really important that we just talk about it. We bring it up with our therapist. We say something. Speak up. It's okay. I promise we're not scary. We're not mean. We we want to hear from you. We want to talk to you. Just tell us, okay? So bring it up. Do not wait it out cuz that's just going to waste money and time, and both of which are very very valuable things. So bringing it up is the best way. And the way that you would bring it up is, is just saying to your therapist, Hey, lately I've noticed that you're just, you know, not really like yourself. You kind of checked out during sessions. and I wonder if you're just burned out. Like, and then you could even say, like you said to me, I know we're all going through a lot right now. And I just want to check in because I've been feeling that. See what they say. It's okay to ask. It's okay to bring it up. It's up to them what they want to share. But if they can't, pull it together, if they don't have their own therapy, because that's why I'm in, a lot of people ask like, Katie, why are you in therapy? Can't you like fix yourself? No, that's not how it works. But that's a whole nother video. And I think I've talked about that in a previous uh, podcast. However, I think the reason like, there's many reasons why I see my own therapist, but one of the main reasons is so that I can manage my own shit and not bring it into your session. So I have my own sessions for that. Because if I'm bringing my shit into your session, then I'm not a good therapist and I'm not very effective at my job. And I should probably take a break, quit, reconsider how I'm going about things or get into therapy or all those things. I don't know. Um, and so your therapist is probably just feeling overwhelmed. Maybe they don't have their own therapist. Again, that's not necessarily any of your business, but it is your business what happens in your session. And what's happening in your session is shit that never happens. Like you shouldn't forget like, the names of important people in your life. I mean, also we like write shit down. So like write some names down. That's like at the top of my page is like brother, sisters, mother, father, whoever's important, best friend, spouse, all those names and ages if I've gathered that. So I kind of get an idea. Hello. It's part of my job. So mention it just like you kind of did to me. It was very compassionate. I don't think this is judgmental. You're just saying that they seem burned out. You've been with them for three years. You've never seen them like this. Don't, I think that a lot of people worry like, well, what if my therapist thinks, no, no, you know what's great about therapy is a great place to practice effective communication. We can learn from this. Like, let's say we did say something a the therapists like, oh, I think you misunderstood. Okay, then we can learn. Okay, maybe they should have communicated more clearly to me. Maybe I shouldn't have jumped to conclusions and should have said something earlier. I don't know, but we get to learn it in a safe environment without fighting and arguing. That's not how therapy works, right? Therapy is a place to communicate, to understand, to get healing, to to gain some insight and get support. Um, so yeah, it's a long-winded answer to say, yeah, bring it up. Um, and again, kind of like what I said with the previous question, like if you want to practice saying it out loud, practice saying it out loud. If you want to write it down and bring it in and just read directly from your notes, do that. However, you can get this out in a way that you feel safe and Uh, can thoughtfully communicate your concerns, do that. And then I know this goes without saying, but if your therapist is like rude in any way, I mean, you've been with them for three years. So I would assume that's not the case, but let's say they were really rude or they're like, how dare you? That's not any of your business. Or worst case, they 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 act like they're listening and they do nothing to change it. If any of those things happen, I think it's completely reasonable to find another therapist and yes, you should probably communicate that to them as well. Like, Hey, I brought this up and you didn't do anything. Um, but once we've done that, find somebody new life's too short. Therapy's too expensive and takes too much work to not be with someone who's effective at their job and actually paying attention and doing, doing what a therapist is supposed to do. Life's too short for that. And we're finally reaching out for help and we should be getting real help. Um, so yeah. And, and yes, we're all going through it, but that's no excuse for shitty therapy, right? Like I still have to do a job and sure. If what days when I'm feeling maxed out, like some I've moved patients around, I've seen fewer patients, I've taken breaks, you know, if I can, I take the weekends completely off. Like there are ways for us to recharge. I see my own therapist, like all the things that therapists, there's lots of resources. So it's really no excuse. Um, But yeah, bring it up. And I hope that that helps. Okie dokie. Question number five. Hi, Katie. I'm 30 and not adulting very well. Are any of us? Let's be honest. It's too late for me to start down the path of be. Oh, is it too late for me to start down the path of becoming a therapist? Nope, not at all. I know it's a decade-long process, but it is ever too late to start. Also, should I be embarrassed to tell my current therapist that i like to pursue becoming a therapist? I love this question. Um, It's never too late to start down the path of anything. I think the biggest like farce, is that the correct word? It's like the biggest hunk of junk we're sold in our life is the belief. And we agree on this belief, by the way, like I agreed on this, other people agreed on it, like our society agrees on it. Is it for in some wild stretch of the imagination or some stupid person just decided that between the ages, get this between the ages of like 16 and 20, we're supposed to figure out what the fuck we want to do with our lives. I don't know about you, but that's a shitty time to try to decide what you want to do because we don't even know who you are. We don't even know who we are. We don't know anything about ourselves. We're barely learning. The person I was back then doesn't even exist anymore. I've shed so many past skins of myself. I don't even know. Who is that? Nobody knows. Um, So it's never too late to start down the path of becoming something, doing something, start a new career. I don't care if you've been a lawyer for 20 years and you're like, you know what? I actually kind of hate my job. I think I want to become a pastry chef. I want to become a YouTuber. I want to write a book. Whatever you want to do, you go do it. There's no age limit on when to start things and when it's too late. And yes, it can take a decade to become an actual licensed therapist. But you get to start practicing like a year and a half or a year into your schooling for your master's. That's pretty fucking awesome. I think that's really cool. And that's a way for you to see right away if you enjoy the clinical experience, if you like being in session with other people and the work that goes into being a therapist. Um, And yes, you'll be scared at your first session, but you'll be just fine. Um, And should you be embarrassed to tell your current therapist? Not at all. I think that they'll have some interesting insights. Um, And if you connect with your therapist and like them, start paying attention to the reasons that you like them. Write that stuff down. Notice what is important to you and what kind of therapist you want to be? Maybe there's things that they do that you're like, you know, what, I don't really like that. But then there's other things that you love. Um, what? Why is that? Be a little curious about your therapeutic experience because being in therapy yourself, I believe, makes you 10 times a better therapist. If you haven't been on the other side of the situation, you legitimately have no idea what that's like for them. I think it's a very egotistical approach to be like, well, I just know better. I'm a therapist. I don't need therapy. How dare you? Like as if as if going to school and majoring in psychology, learning about therapeutic techniques makes us immune to being human. That's a bunch of bullshit and I do not subscribe to that and I personally would be scared to see a therapist who hasn't been in their own therapy. And trust me, I went to school with plenty of those people who are like, "Oh, I would never." yet you want to do it for, I really don't understand. Hmm. So I think your therapist will be stoked. I think she'll, he or she um, will be interested to talk to you about it and figure out like, you know, even if they can answer some questions, right? Like it can be really helpful to hear what it's like to be a therapist, like really. um, Because it's such like a behind the curtain kind of job, like nobody really knows what it's like. Like if you guys could follow me a day in the life in my, in my practice, you'd be like, well, I mean, it's kind of boring in some ways because I'm not moving. Like I'm just sitting in my chair, then I go pee and I get into the kitchen, get my lunch. Like it's a very boring day when it comes to like movement, but the people are fascinating and the job itself is super rewarding. But until you kind of understand like what that looks like, um, you won't know if it's something that you want to do. And so bring it up, talk to your therapist, ask any questions you want about being a therapist and what that's like. Um, but it's definitely not too late being 30, man. It's funny. I think everything's like in perspective about ages and everything. Like when I was a teenager, I thought 30 was so old. Um, and now that I'm 36, I like, I still feel like I'm like 22, by the way, like I'm still the same, but I'm definitely not in many ways. You know, it's funny. Like if I look back at 22 year old me, I'm like, oh my God, oh my God, what a disaster. But, um, but now, like at 36, I'm like, I still don't feel old. And even my grandma, who's 84, just the other day, I was on the phone with my grandma. And she was saying how um, she still can't believe she's 84. She's like, I still think I'm like, I'm like 40. I just, I just haven't even changed. And it's kind of like that. So don't ever think you're too old to start a new thing, or that it you know it's too late. Because already life is too short. But life is way too short to be in a job or a situation that doesn't make us happy and doesn't help us help us in any way. We should be doing things that are fulfilling. We should be spending time with people who are loving and supportive. And I just don't have any time for any other bullshit, right? So as soon as you can do it, do it. And now is the time. So go right ahead. Um, and the fact that you're in ther- therapy is going to make you an even better therapist. I'm excited for you. Okay, question number six. Is it normal to feel guilty about not recovering fast enough? I know everyone's journey is different, but sometimes I feel like I shouldn't still be burdening people with my mental illness given all the help I've received, therapy, medication, support system, et cetera. It's very normal. Um, a lot of us have this, I don't know why, I think maybe it's because it's the medical model of things, but a lot of us have this belief around the fact that like, we should be able to identify what the problem is. Okay, I have, uh, I don't know, depression. And so just like I'd have a broken leg, I go to the doctor for my depression and they they set it and they give me medicine to deal with the infection, and then I'm fine. Boom, 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 boom. It's this linear model. But that's not how our brain works, and that's not how therapy works. And that's we also don't there's so much yet to understand about an active working human brain because it's really difficult to get to see it and study it in real time. We do have more and more techniques and tools now. Super cool technologies helping. Like, I don't know if you guys watched that um, YouTube original. I was part of Sleeping With Friends. They had these little EEGs, which were so small. You guys, it was, I mean, I was amazed when I was there filming. I was like, oh my God. I was like, you got to show the- Vanessa, you got to show me though. Like, how'd you get those? And they're like new, like a brand new technology. Super, super small. If you guys don't know, EEGs usually require like all these nodes on your head, and I'd, I'd take my patients to go get them done, and they would just be so uncomfortable, and they have to wear this cap forever. And it's just—I can't imagine trying to sleep with all those cords and stuff. It's just a disaster. But that, holy moly, what a what a game changer! So, anyways, what I'm saying is, I've got off on a tangent. I'm sorry, but it's it's very normal to think in that medical model way, when that's really not how our brains work, and the I think. I think part of the the healing with this, and I think this is even its own step in recovery, is letting go of the the guilt of like the expectation because just like we catch a cold, we can catch a cold again, right? If we struggle with depression, anxiety, even an eating disorder, self-injury urges, we can heal that, but that doesn't mean that those thoughts won't come back potentially. It doesn't mean we have to engage with them. They're kind of like floating thoughts They're like, oh, I remember you, you piece of shit. And we just kind of like let it go. We'll have that. But the thought that like we can just heal it, boom, I should be better, boom, this should all be happening, boom, all in this timeline, it, we have to let go of that expectation for ourselves. We have to embrace our process. And I know that that's hard, but a lot of that just comes out of like self-compassion, love, understanding, being okay, sitting with those thoughts and feelings that I was talking about earlier. Um, but it's it's very normal. I want to say that again, because it is very normal to feel guilty about not recovering fast enough. Um but we're just working with what we've got. We can't compare, like, let's say, let's say I um, caught the coronavirus and so did Sean. Would I feel guilty because I was sick a week longer than him? Think about it. I'm trying to not react in my face so that you can have whatever feelings and thoughts that you have if you're watching this on YouTube. Um, but the answer is no, I wouldn't feel guilty. How am I supposed to help it? I'm just sick. And I don't think about mental illness or mental health issues any differently. If it takes me two years, and it takes somebody else two months, what get who cares? What does that mean? It means that they're different than me. Tell me something I didn't already know. And I know that that can be really hard. But sometimes we have to talk ourselves out of it, we have to like, be a little boundary around where we'll let our brain go. And I would I would encourage you to notice when you're letting your brain go into this, like, guilty, I should be all better, should, should, when you're shooting all over yourself, I always call it like, I should be here, I should be better, I should have recovered already, I should feel great, I shouldn't need all this support anymore, I I should have had enough treatment, all the shoulds. I want you to pay attention to when you're letting your brain go there, and don't let it go there. Do the thought stopping techniques. Stop, 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 stop. No, 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 no. I'm going to pull it out to instead push it into a happy memory or potentially let's focus on all the like growth I've made in the last like couple months. If a year ago you told me I'd be feeling like this or I'd be here, I would have been surprised. And that can put things in perspective that can help you see how far you've come. If you are, because you said you're in therapy and everything, I would mention this to your therapist that you're feeling guilty about like not recovering quote unquote fast enough um, and ask to go over all of the things you've accomplished together. I do that with patients probably every six or eight months or whenever they need it, but bring it up. And I think that could really help for you to talk it out and to, to gain some perspective on how far you've really come um, because we just often forget, we lose sight like sight of what where we used to be, we forget what that felt like, and we just want to focus on not being all the way done or perfect or finished. Um, when we know that it's a process, not perfection, so we just have to keep one step at a time moving forward. And I know easier said than done, but I'm just saying that like it's okay to still need support because in here says I felt like I shouldn't still be burdening people with my mental illness, given all the help I've received. Just getting help and getting support, doesn't mean we don't still need social support. In my book, my first book, Are You Okay? I talk about um, why friends and family aren't enough. It's kind of in the, I think it's in the chapter about like, what type of help do I need or something? I forget. I think it's in that chapter about different levels of care. Um, But I talk about why friends and family aren't enough. And they're just, they're adjunct to your therapy, right? You have therapy, medication, support system. So we need that as part of this puzzle and you're making a lot of assumptions. Like I'm even just reading this. I'm like, still burdening people. Why, why do you think you're a burden? Is that some negative self-talk? I think so. Has someone told you that you're burdening them? If they have, then we should probably have a conversation about that with them and maybe decide they're not part of that support system because we can't share that with them. Um, But When people love us and people want to support us, doing so is not a burden. It's done with joy. It's because I'm grateful that I can be there for you because I love you and I want to support you. So again, I check that thought, putting that thought in check (laughs) because I don't think that you're burdening anyone, Um, but it's back to that guilt. So yeah, changing the conversation that you're having with yourself about your recovery and about your process, uh, if it helps relating it to like catching a cold or the medical model, like... Um, you know, how if if we broke our leg and had it set in a cast and then we tripped and hurt ourselves and broke the other leg, would we be like, Wow, why am I not better already? <laughs> you know, it just doesn't make sense. Like any way you slice it, it's not gonna work out and doesn't make sense this way. So pay attention to how you're talking to yourself about your recovery. Try to turn it into a more positive place or more positive conversation. You can use bridge statements if you need to, thought stop when you need to. But let's get it out of this like I'm a burden. I should be better. Should, should, should. I shouldn't need this. I should, have, you know, stop shooting on it. Stop paying, you know, pay attention to what you're saying and start making that conversation more positive. And I'm rambling again and I apologize. <laughs> okay. Moving right along. Question number seven. How do you break unhealthy attachment style patterns? I recognize them, but when I opened up to the person in particular and expected a certain reaction and that wasn't met, I had the urge to run so far away from that person, but I still fight against my urge because that person doesn't deserve that kind of behavior. Disorganized attachment is so exhausting. And it says, thanks for listening and reading. I hope my English isn't too bad. It's not my mother tongue. People always say that. Sean and I've talked about this in our podcast, but man, you guys have amazing English. Your English is better than my whatever language you speak natively. Um that I can, for that, I can be like 100% sure that that is true. Um, but I really like this question because attachment is difficult and we will have those urges. Like all of us have patterns, whether it's attachments or not, we all have patterns. And, um, in my book, my first book, are you okay? I talk about puffer fishing, how I'd been hurt. i had been like really wounded in a relationship that I had a romantic relationship I had when I was in high school. Um, you know, high school love. You're like, we're gonna be together forever. Um, thank God we were not, because this guy's horrible. Um, wish him well. Hopefully, he's like different now. We're I'm 36. We were like, I don't know, 16 when we started dating. 15. I don't know. Lord only knows. We were children. Um, but I thought we'd be together forever, and we're in love. And then he like was lying, doing drugs, cheated on me. It was like a whole slew of garbage, and it's just like the garbage just kept coming. And I would like tolerated it for a while until we like broke up like 17,000 times. It was horrible, you guys. So I'm sharing this story because in the book, I talk about this and how, because that had happened to me, I felt too soft and squishy. Like I didn't think I could survive another breakup like that or another scenario where I was treated like that. And I, I allowed it to happen too. Like I take some responsibility, right? I kept going back for more, Lord knows. Um, and so the, I thought that I was too fragile to have that happen again. And so instead of letting anybody else romantically, like my friends knew me well, like I had close friends, but guys, men in my life, I would puffer fish them. If it they got too close, I'd stick my spines out. Yeah. And then I would like leave. Like I had a lot of a slew of guys that I would like date for like a week or two and just be like, peace, I'm out. You don't know me. I don't know you. I don't want to know you. Bye. And I did this whole like, running away, don't let anybody get too close kind of thing. And it was protective. And in a way, like, I get it. It makes sense, right? It felt too scary to let anybody get too close. So instead, I stuck my spines out and puffer fished. Yeah. And then I felt better. (sighs) Nobody's in my warning zone. I'm okay. I feel safe. I can self-regulate, all that stuff. And so it helps. However, can also be really isolating, especially if you like enjoy the connection of a romantic relationship and you're wanting intimacy in that way. Um, and so, sorry, I know this is all over the place, but we all have these patterns and my therapist called out that pattern. Um, and mm-hmm. was, it was after, it was actually like right before I met Sean, to be honest, it was like the last relationship I had before Sean, she was like, you just puffer fished your boyfriend. Like, why did you, you did that again. You do that a lot. Like it was an interesting like revelation, I think for her slash for me. And so, when I started dating Sean, the goal, she said, was for me to be uncomfortable and to be able to, like, tolerate that uncomfortability without disappearing. Like, doing the, like, ha, ah, break up with you. Fuck you. I don't want to see you. Ah, whatever. Ghosting before ghosting was actually a thing, cause this was, like, what, 12, 13 years ago? Um, but anyways, so we're still, you can still have that urge, right? I When Sean... Um, luckily we, our relationship because we're doing distance at the beginning was moved pretty slow. I didn't have to puffer fish cause I didn't feel like it was too much, too fast. I didn't feel that the warnings go off. Like all those alarm bells where you're like, Oh my God, Oh my God, this is getting too close. Um, none of that really happened for me as much, but when I was finishing school and had to move down, I definitely had those moments. And when we were moving in together, I definitely had those moments. Um, and even like the first year or two of us being married, I had those moments. And so, and I'm just being completely candid with you guys. So you understand that like those urges will still happen. So when they said, I fought against my urge because that person doesn't deserve that kind of behavior, that is a huge sentence. That response and that understanding of like, hey, I want to do this, but I know they don't deserve it. Like my reaction isn't deserving of the situation. Like they don't equate, right? I'm overreacting. I recognize that. That's a fucking huge. That took me like a year in therapy to try and figure out like, why am I doing this to myself? So kudos to you, five gold stars. Um, And so I think, how do I break the unhealthy attachment style patterns? You do what you're doing. Because I don't know about you, but whenever I felt that urge. And then I didn't act on it. I actually started to feel better and be record and like would recognize that, Hey, I'm not actually unsafe. This is just uncomfortable and uncomfortable when it comes to this is healthy for me. And if I actually let someone in, then I, you know, then they can let me in and we can have this like close connection that I've been longing for. And so yeah, you're really already doing it. But I think this is very common. I think a lot of us are stuck in these old patterns of behavior, whether it's related to attachment or related to a, a past situations. We we don't forget, right? Forgive and forget is kind of a stupid saying because it's more like forgive and decide to move on. Um, but forget, we don't. We, we learn from past situations and behaviors, but we don't have to take those past situations and transfer them on to current ones when they're not the same. Like, my situation with Sean was not the same as the situation back when I was in high school. First of all, I was like almost 10 years older. Second of all, it was a totally different person. Third of all, none of the situations were the same. Like, there's no. And so, sometimes another tip I have for this is obviously keep doing what you're doing. But the second tip is to, um, to look for things that are different that things that like be a detective for things that do not line up with that situation and that that attachment the harm that you had as a child like look for evidence that doesn't support that like hey i guess they have shown up for me they have been pretty consistent um i guess you know even though i wasn't i wanted them to respond a certain way i didn't tell them i expected that so how are they supposed to do that And the way they responded in and of itself actually wasn't hurtful. Hmm. Like be, you know, look for some of that evidence. Like, cause in my situation, it was like, Hey, it's not the same dude. So yours is not the same person. It's not your mom or dad. It's not the same person, not the same situation. You're not the same person as you were when you were a kid. I know a lot of times we think I am that person. We don't have to be, we can shed past skins of ourselves so that we are a totally different person. Yes, the wounds can still be there, but once we heal them, They don't serve a purpose anymore. We don't have to keep living in that old story, in that old, I don't know, I guess story is the best way, but like, you don't have to keep feeling that and being hurt by that. So those are my two tips. Keep doing what you're doing. Fight against the urge. And then after you fought against the urge, I would encourage you to be like, hey, that didn't hurt me. I guess I'm okay. Like, do some reflection, some assessment. I guess this was okay. Hmm. I survived, right? Because we need to like, give ourselves experiences of things not quite going our way, or things feeling uncomfortable and us coming out on top and being okay with that and like managing. So anyway, yeah, keep doing what you're doing. And then, um, you know, it, it'll get better. I promise you and then be a detective. Sorry, that was the second thing is be a detective for things that like, are different looking for the differences, because it is very different. Okay. Question number eight. We have two more questions. Hey, Katie, I really don't think I have the ability to feel angry. I just get tearful and then feel really overwhelmed and feel like I can't communicate at all. Why is this happening? Oh my God, this is so common. I loved this question. (laughs) And the reason is that anger is a secondary emotion. Meaning anger is protective when, because I get tearful when I get angry, I almost always cry. Even if Sean and I, we don't even fight that often. I'm going to be truth, like completely honest, with you guys. Sean and I maybe fight, I don't know, maybe like four times our entire relationship, like actual fight. Like we can bicker and be like, "I didn't like that. Please stop doing that," or "Please communicate more." But we've gotten pretty good at like managing it and talking to one another. Um, however, if, when I do get angry, because I do get angry, I cry almost always, and you know why? because anger is just covering up the fact that my feelings were hurt. I was upset. That was painful for me. But instead, because uh, painful, upset, sad, hurt, those feel very vulnerable, right? Those it's like I'm, I'm like a pufferfish with no spines to stick out. I don't like that. That feels dangerous emotionally for me to let those feelings be out there and express those feelings. So anger comes in and tries to cover it up. But if those feelings are so strong, and we've never allowed ourselves to feel them, it's like we're putting a band aid on a hole in this dam. And so no matter how often you may try to feel angry, you're really sad, and you're really hurt. And in a way, I would use that to your advantage. I know it's like, you want to feel angry. And you want to feel that rage. But that might not even be what you're actually feeling. I know that sounds crazy, but just hang with me for a minute because I feel like you're just getting tearful because whatever the anger is covering up is really what you should dive into, is really what you should try to allow yourself to feel. I would encourage you to set aside time. I did this for a while where I would set aside time where I'd allow myself just to cry. And just cry. Usually the shower is like a safe place or in your car on your way home from work or anything where you just have like, I know that's not the same now because quarantine, but maybe you go sit in your car for a bit, you know, in privacy, maybe in the backseat where it's dark so no one can see in the windows or whatever, but find a safe place to cry. And then the thing that was weird for me, and I don't know if you'll experience this as well, is once I allowed myself to like cry and feel it and be sad, not only did the anger go down, but then I could experience the anger on its own. I could let, I could scream in my car. I could kick things. I could, you know, uh, scream into a pillow. I could write angry letters and tear them up. Um, But it wasn't until I could like take the edge off that I could recognize anger's role. I think it was because the other stuff was just so intense that anger, like, it just didn't, it didn't have a place there. It didn't fit. It was like there was, there were bigger fish to fry for lack of a better term. Um, So yeah, you do have the ability to feel angry. But I have a feeling that the other feeling, the things that are underneath that underlying emotions are more palpable, more intense, and need to be felt and heard and seen first. Then we'll probably get down to something that is upsetting and angry. But I do want to address another um, another side of this, just so that we're covering all bases. If what I just said, you're like, nope, that's not it, Katie, you're off base, because I don't know everything and everyone's different, right? Which is the wonderful thing about therapy and psychology and people. Um, it could be what you think about anger, that prevents it. Because I don't know about you, but anger can feel very out of control. It can feel very dangerous to me. um, And I don't like that. And so oftentimes, other emotions that aren't so scary to us will come up instead. Even though anger is secondary, I know you're like, Katie, that goes against, but everybody's different. Everybody experiences emotions differently. Um, And for some people, anger just feels too out of control and too scary, that it's easier for me to cry. It's easier for me to be vulnerable and to let out those other emotions than it is for me to stand up for myself, which can come out of a lot of different beliefs about who I am. Like, is it okay for me to take up space? Is it okay for me to have boundaries? Is it okay for me to say no? Is it okay if I don't want to do something and I remove myself? are any of those things okay or not? Because sometimes when we don't feel like we have a right to take up space, we have a right to say no to things, we have a right to have boundaries, we have a right to leave relationships. If we don't think those things are true for us, then anger goes right out the window with it. Then why would I have the right to be angry? Maybe I don't have the right to be angry. And if, you know, so if that's the case, then I think that what could help you is again those feelings charts, those feelings words, write down how you're feeling and other words other than anger and angry. Um, and maybe use them in a sentence. I felt frustrated when this happened. I felt irritated. I felt really short-tempered. I, you know, wanted to scream, whatever you can say. And then something that helped me when I was trying to like figure out anger and like get to know it is I did a lot of collages in therapy. Um, I, I journal a lot about it. Um, and I even drew some pictures about like what anger would look like. If you can use your creativity that way, and that's helpful for you, that was helpful for me. Um, and then you got to find ways to express it, but one thing at a time, one thing at a time. Um, so hopefully that covers both potentials for that question. Um, but if you know, in the comments, you can let me know if I miss something, or if you think another way, That's awesome. Please share. Okay, final question. Are you ready? Question number nine. Hi, Katie. How do you maintain concentration during work during this pandemic? I'm really struggling. I've also been struggling to sleep at night. Do you have any tips that would help with that? I love your channel and podcast. They're so helpful. I'm really glad. Yay. Um, Oh my God, I feel you on this one. And I go through periods of being able to do it and not to do it. And I think some of it, so there's two things. Um, First of all, Taking care of our basic needs has never been more important. Make sure you're taking your medication, your vitamins, make sure you're sleeping well, eating well, all of that stuff, drinking enough water, make sure that you're just taking care of yourself. But the one thing that has legitimately saved my bacon, helped me concentrate, because I got to write like a fucking book right now and it's super overwhelming. And if I can't concentrate, then I'm like, I can't do this, right? There's been told days where I'm supposed to do that. And I was like, I can't do that. Um, or like I'm filming. I'm like my brain, it won't work. Um, so know that you're not alone. And if you've noticed me like struggling to come up with words and stuff, that's what it is. Hey. Um, But what's helped me the most is regular FaceTimes and Zooms. I know we're kind of sick of those. I know people are like, fuck that. I don't want to do that anymore. It's really been helpful for me. I don't do it with a lot of people. I only connect people that are really close friends with me in real life. Like I talk to, hang out with, usually see regularly. Um, Doing that is great. Um, talking to my mom every day, wonderful. Talking to my grandma, talking to people. I just, I, connection really, really helps me. And I'm more on the introvert side. So if you aren't on the more introverted side, even more reason that's helping. And then getting out of the house. And I know because Sean and I are sheltering in place as much as possible because I think, first of all, it's responsible. Cases in California keep going up and people are fucking idiots sitting in groups without masks on everywhere we look. So I'm like, holy moly, here we go. Um, So we go for these long walks, and we just get to talk about random things. And I get to move my body, I get home and I stretch, I do some breathing. All those have been like, it's been really, really helpful. And I see that now as part of my like basic needs. Like I have to do that or I can't do anything else. Um, And I don't mean that like I have to spend hours and hours doing all these crazy things. But that's what helps me with my concentration, helps me feel my best, helps me like rejuvenate, recharge so that I can get up tomorrow and do it all over again. Um, I've needed more sleep. And so I've made time for that. Um, And also I take more breaks. When I start to feel crapped out, like right before I started this podcast, I was writing and I was doing this. I was like, Spacing, it was just totally spacing out. Um, it was like hard for me to focus. I was like, No, finish that sentence. It's good. I like that train of thought. And then I was like, You have to stop. Like, my internal voice, like, Katie, you can't fucking focus. You gotta stop. So, noticing when you're feeling like you need a break and take a break, I watch some TV, talk to my mom or whatever, like, do something that feels recharging and is a distraction. Go for that walk. Um, it's easy to kind of weave those things in. And overall, I think what I'll kind of end on is recognizing that things are not normal. And so there's no expectation to feel normal. I give you full permission to be like, this is weird. I feel weird. Things are crazy. But I'm going to get through it. And we're going to get through it. Just the other day, I was doing one of those Ryan, I think his last name is like Heffington. I'm probably messing it up. But I do his like uh, dance workouts. They're really fun on Instagram, sweat sessions. And at the end, he does like this kind of, kind of meditation, you breathe, you close your eyes. And he just kept saying, he's like, we'll get through this. We'll get through this. We're going to get through this. We're going to get through this. And it was, I don't think I realized how much I just needed to hear that. I was like, yeah, it'll be okay. It'll be okay. We're going to get through this. And so take some time to tell yourself that, to hear that. It's, you know, we will get through this. Things will get better. It's also okay to just not be as productive as normal because this isn't normal. And I don't want to hear one more person say, got to get used to the new normal. Shut the fuck up. I'm not used to anything yet. I'm, in a, I'm going through an adjustment. Technically, I have adjustment disorder right now. We all do. It's really stressful. It's overwhelming. Um, and we're, we can take our sweet time as we try to adjust and get used to it. Um, so yeah, hopefully that helps. And then the sleep thing also, I, I know I've talked about this a lot, but like thought stopping has helped me. Um, L-theanine is something that I take. It's like a vitamin. I, I'm not a doctor, so don't take that as like any doctor recommended. Talk to your physician or whoever you see and ask about that because I take that. helps me calm down, like go to sleep so my anxious thoughts don't run wild. Um, also getting off my phone, not watching any media 30 minutes before bed. That all helps. Um, yeah, I keep a notepad by my bed where I write any worry thoughts down. It's kind of like a little distraction journal or something just to get it out of my head. Um, yeah. It will get better. We will get through this, you guys. We will get through this. Um, and that's it. Thank you so much for listening. I hope this was helpful. Um, it's so funny doing podcasts like this by myself is just so different than doing it with Sean, because it's like it's just me by myself, like having a conversation with myself, giggling at myself. It's a very strange thing. It's kind of fun to do both <laughs> and get to see both sides. Um, anyways, thank you for watching. Thank you for sending your questions. Thank you for being part of the community. I love you all. Have a wonderful week and I will see you next time. Bye. You can ask her about your therapist or vent about your work. You can ask her about your self-esteem or why your feelings hurt. You can ask her why breakups suck or why you've hit a plateau. Inquire all those questions you've always wanted to know. Katie.